We would like to acknowledge the Ghana people and pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging and acknowledge their spiritual connection to the land on which this podcast is recorded. As part of the oldest living culture in the world, we draw inspiration from their deep knowledge of traditional foods, medicine and remedies. From the Central Adelaide Local Health Network, this is Research Pulse, where we discuss the latest world-class health research from Carlin and how it's contributing to world-class care. Today we're focusing on chronic myeloid leukaemia and research which is solving the problem of why some patients don't always respond to therapy. To find out why, we're speaking with Professor Susan Branford from the Centre for Cancer Biology, an alliance between SA Pathology and the University of South Australia. Sue, thank you for your time. You're welcome, Drew. First of all, could we just take one step back? What is chronic myeloid leukaemia? Yeah, so it is one of the different forms of leukaemia, as the name suggests. Patients are diagnosed in a relatively benign chronic phase. It is associated with older age, about 50 to 60 years of age is the median time, but it can occur at any stage. There are very young people, teenagers, uh, who are also diagnosed. And without any treatment, the disease will progress and it progresses to a rapidly fatal acute leukaemia. So survival is about three years after diagnosis without any treatment. So in terms of that diagnosis and actually how they're responding to treatment, that's pretty central to what your work's been. Absolutely. And the the important thing is that at the time... My role was to actually develop some molecular methods to follow patients with chronic myeloid leukaemia, coincided with the time of an amazing breakthrough when there was a targeted therapy developed specifically for patients with chronic myeloid leukaemia because this drug specifically will inhibit the genetic abnormality that causes the disease. And this is a a gene fusion. It's not normally present, but it is present specifically in the leukemic cells and not in the normal cells. So this new drug was able to target the leukemic cells only and spare the normal cells and the results were really quite remarkable. The response rates achieved by patients and at that stage really there had been never anything seen like this before with a single drug therapy for cancer. So it really was one of the first great triumphs for cancer treatment and was one of the first targeted therapies. And and now this has been followed by many other diseases that there are now known good genetic targets. So I understand there was a percentage though that were resistant to the therapy. Yeah, that's right. Unfortunately, about 20% of patients don't respond. They either have no response at all or they have a response and then lose a response. And so we now know that it's really important that these patients receive rapid treatment intervention to prevent them progressing to an acute leukaemia. If I'm understanding this correctly, that's the key thing that you've helped solve though. You've actually come up with a process now to identify that quickly because how was it done before? Yes, the test actually developed along with the resistance. I mean, as the time of these very first patients treated with these newer drugs, we didn't know 
if all patients would eventually develop resistance or not, and that fortunately that hasn't been the case. And uh, then there are a number of groups around the world who have been looking into the mechanisms of drug resistance. And very soon, within about a year of the first patients being treated, it was discovered what the major mechanism of resistance was and, and the actual genetic abnormality itself mutates which means that the drug could not bind. So that led to resistance. So we find these mutations in about 50% of patients with resistance. So we have developed new techniques so that we can test for this particular mutation. But the problem has been, what was the mechanism of resistance for the other 50% of patients who fail? So that's where the research over the last few years has led to. So we, we and many other people have been looking for these other mechanisms and how can we test for them and how can we treat patients with these different resistance mechanisms? And so are you on a path for that solution in terms of tackling that problem of resistance? Yes, so hopefully, so certainly we have a better understanding of the mechanism of resistance and this has really been made possible with newer technology. Over about the last decade, a lot of labs have now introduced what's called next generation sequencing technology and I think many people would be aware of this that the uh, whole genome was sequenced now about 20 years ago and it took many millions of dollars and it took an extremely long time just to sequence the whole genome of one person. Whereas now technology has advanced so that we can look at every gene in every patient very rapidly at, at just a fraction of the cost. So we've been using this new technology over the last say six or seven years and we have now discovered that these patients develop other mutations and these occur in the same type of genes, these are called cancer genes, that are known to cause other blood cancers. So the patient not only has their primary genetic lesion, which is a gene fusion, but they may have these other mutations in other genes as well. And these seem to be what's needed to progress the disease into an acute leukemia. So at the moment, what we're working on is developing a relatively quick and cheap method to be able to search for these mutations in key genes. So it's, it's taken many years. We started off looking at, at every single gene and now we know that there's only about 50 genes that we really need to look for. So that's the next step is to develop a very quick method so that we can not only look for mutations in the gene fusion, but look for other mutations as well. Major, one of the questions you're looking at is why these mutations cause drug resistance? Yes, and I think it's because they don't actually cause resistance to the actual drug. I think what they do is that it means that their disease advances, that it is no longer dependent on this primary genetic lesion. That may still be able to be inhibited by the drug, but there are these other mutations that have developed within the gene 
that lead to all sorts of, of other abnormalities. Some of these mutations occur in what's called tumour suppressor genes. So it means that can lead on to an expansion of the cancer. So these are independent of the original initiating lesion. And that's the problem. And there's lots of different types of mutations. So you've alluded to this to some extent, but the outcomes for patients are significant with this development. Yes, well, most patients can do extremely well, which is great. And we know that those patients, if they start with their therapy soon after treatment and they maintain their therapy, they don't stop taking their therapy when the clinician tells them that they shouldn't, then most patients will have long-term survival. But it's unfortunately, you know, it's this 20% of patients who don't respond. And these are the patients who we hope that once we have a better understanding of what's causing their drug resistance, that there may be some newer drugs that may target their new mutations. And we already know that some of the mutations we find are already seen in other blood cancers and there are already drugs that have been developed to combat these so there's still a lot of work to do at the moment we're just at the more or less the discovery stage and and in the future we hope that we will have a good understanding of what particular drugs these patients should have so this line of research has been with you pretty much since you left high school and the reason i phrase it that way is i find your path with this particularly fascinating because you didn't go through university. You've ended up doing a doctorate and becoming a professor through a somewhat unusual path. How did that happen? Yes, that's right. I actually started at um, what was then the Institute of Medical and Veterinary Science as a technician and became a technical officer, but then moved on to developmental work in a, in a new department called molecular pathology. And after a few years of development of the work and doing some clinical associations, it was suggested by my head of department that perhaps I should be looking into doing a PhD, even though I didn't have an undergraduate degree. And so we had discussions with the University of South Australia and based on a number of publications already that they agreed. So they allowed me into the PhD program. And importantly, I was also supported not only by the head of the department, but also by the Institute as well. They approved that I did this course. So I think I was very fortunate to have that opportunity. An amazing opportunity, amazing amount of support as well, Sue, I would suggest. I mean, undertaking a doctorate is a major commitment. And you were doing that while you were working. Yes, that's right. And luckily, I'd already spent a few years working and and developing a method and showing a clinical correlation and showing that it was important to translate this work into the clinical setting. So, you know, half of the work had already been done. So that was the important thing. Professor Susan Bramford from SA Pathology, it's such important work that you're doing. Thank you for taking the time to talk to us about it on this Research Pulse podcast. You're welcome, Drew, and thank you so much for your interest. Thank you for listening to Research Pulse. For more episodes in this series, find us and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love to hear your feedback, so please leave a comment or rating and share this series with your colleagues and friends. If you'd like to contact us, you can find an email address in this episode description. 
This podcast was developed by the Central Adelaide Local Health Network.